Good evening, everyone. It's so encouraging to see everyone back out tonight to come and worship with uh, the Lord, to worship together with each other, to sing songs, to pray with one another, and to uh, I appreciate you for, uh, the opportunity to come and speak tonight. It's, uh, it's felt like a long time. Um, Kyle's been doing an awesome job with us. I've been learning a lot from him, so hopefully he can get a little break and learn uh, something from me. Um, today, Tonight, I really want to talk about, uh, there was a scripture reading that we had last Wednesday uh, that Charles read. It was, uh, it just really struck me. I never uh, read it that close. It was when Noah did all that God had commanded him. So it really uh, provoked me to kind of read into this a little bit more and to provide a lesson for this. So tonight we're going to be talking about doing all that the Lord commanded uh, to kind of help get our minds prepared for this and to help us think along the lines. Have you ever been uh, given a list of commands, if you will, uh, either from parents, spouses, or giving it to your own children, and said, this is what I want you to do. And you got five things to do, maybe. And the child comes back and hands you that report and says, 100% complete. And you say, good job, well done. What about when that person comes back and they, they said they did it all and felt like they did a great job, but you know, I only got three of those things done, of those five. Was it complete? Did they do everything that you told them to do or asked them to do? No. Um, to, to a certain degree, uh, some things we can get away with, with not doing everything that was commanded, maybe uh, that maybe not have been important for us. But when it comes to God's Word and His commands, it's very important for us to know what He commands us to do and to actually do it 100%. Anything less uh, is not what God expects from us. And it will, uh, as we'll read on, we'll find that it's punishable. And so... I just have a quick question. Do you know how many commandments are in the Bible? Kind of think, take a minute to think. And I, I mean, you can include Old Testament and New Testament commands. Maybe five? Did you come up with ten? Twenty? Fifty? Over six hundred? It's a lot of commands. Uh, God doesn't change. These commands go back. We can, if we want to take the time, we could really uh, open up to the Old Testament and read the list and list of commands that were given the uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a commandment as a divine rule, especially one of the Ten Commandments. If you were to go out into the street and talk to somebody, they would probably say, Oh, well, I know the Ten Commandments. Uh, you, you shouldn't kill people. Uh, you shouldn't steal. Uh, don't commit adultery. And kind of blanking on the other ones. Uh, but these are also commands that we can find throughout the New Testament. Uh, Christ actually expounds on some of these as well uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. But then also another part, it says, a rule to be observed, and then it says, as strictly as one of the Ten Commandments. Now, I think that's one thing that's kind of been compartmentalized, where people put so much emphasis on certain commands over others, when in all reality, they all hold the same weight uh, in God's eyes. Another co- question I have for you is, what is the greatest command? Uh, if we go to Matthew 22, uh, verse 37, he says, He, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the great and first command. And a second, just like it, says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. If you really think about it, if you're going with a heart ready to serve God, ready to give everything to Him... You're taking the time to get to know God. You're taking the time to understand the words that He has provided to you in in this Holy Bible. And that if you're doing that and you're loving God with all your heart, you are going to be fulfilling all these commands. 
It seems like a real easy thing to do, does it not? But if you really have the heart to serve, to honor and worship God, you're going to be doing exactly as Jesus says. And then the second command, as uh, he needed to throw in there also, was the neighbor as yourself. Kyle did such an awesome job on brotherly love today. He even brought that up where it says to love your neighbor. Uh, The Jewish community at this time in Jesus' day treated their neighbors as fellow Jews. But really Jesus is expounding on that. He says, everyone is your neighbor. But our first one we're going to look at is in Genesis chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead, turn your Bibles over to Genesis chapter 6. This is where our first example is going to come from. I have three examples for you today. The first two are going to be a gentleman that served God and did all that he had commanded. There's uh, one of my favorite characters is Noah. He had such a monumental task that he had to do. So let's begin reading in chapter 6 verse 14. And just follow along and really think about what happens. Here we go. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door in the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wives, your son's wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. And if we read just a little bit further, it goes on and it repeats itself where Noah, once again, did all that was commanded. Now it took me maybe a minute and a half to read. It took Noah 120 years to do that. Did anyone maybe stop and count all the things he had to do? Well, I did it for you. Um, This is kind of how I broke it down. Take a look at this stuff. Noah had to make that ark of gopher wood. He had to make rooms in the ark. Look at all the dimensions that he had to do. Uh, I think if we wanted to, we could really even break this down further and further of what was required of Noah. (coughs) Number 16, every living thing. You think he got some help with that? I certainly hope so. That is a task that... I would not see as feasible for any man to do. But like I just said, it only took me a very short amount of time to read all the things that was required for Noah to do. And it took him so many years to do that. Can you imagine doing one task for 120 years? You might get a little bit impatient after maybe 20 years, right? 30, 40, 50. Can you imagine the consequences of Noah not doing one of these things? I can't. It's hard for me to think that Noah, given this huge task, and he did it all the way. He didn't miss a single step. One thing I've also missed in the times that I've read this, and as much as I say I love reading about Noah, uh, number 21, it said, take every sort of food. You know, I think when I grew up, a big thing that I was always talked to about Noah was Noah built an ark. He made it of a special wood, and he brought all the animals on it. Okay, but then also it says, Noah, you have to bring all the food that's for eating, too. That's one thing I overlooked. Now think about that, too. So Noah's got him, his uh, three sons, his wife, and their wives to help him out with this. And 
But thankfully, Noah has God on his side. Can you imagine God coming to you and giving you a task like this? Something monumental? Something special to you? And let's, let's put a little bit more on the table here. All of humanity kind of depends on you as well. You know, if we back up a little bit to read about Noah's character, though, when God searched the whole earth and found that it was just full of corruption, there was one man, Noah, who was found righteous in God's sight. Can you imagine if God had to search the earth in 20 years? Would he find one righteous? And if it was you? What if all those other millions of souls that were required to... That God said, you know, I'm, I'm just going to destroy all this. I have no need for it. But then he sees that one light. He says, you know what, for this one light, I'll hold out. Let's think about Abraham um, and how whenever Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah and how God was going to go destroy that. And how Abraham, uh, I always like to say he negotiated with God. He asked God that he kept taking the number down from 50 to 40 to 30, 20 to 10. You know, Please, God, if there's just 10 righteous people. It shows God's character also. If there are those that are being righteous to Him, if there are those that are longing to do what is right, to practice what God says, to do all that He commands, God spares those people. He doesn't let them uh, perish. kind of helps us out too to think that, you know, some days we have it rough. Some days, you know, God may require a little bit more of you. It may be being a little bit more patient with somebody. It may be loving somebody a little bit more than you had to. Not that, I guess, love has levels. But, you know, just trying a little bit harder and to keep that in perspective of what we have to do. Another one I kind of think of is, you know, Noah had this special task. How many people do we find in the Bible that had to build an ark? None. Uh, but there are certain men and women, though, that we can find uh, that required more from them. Uh, when I think about this, I think about how in Matthew chapter 25, uh, verses 14 through 30, it was giving the talents and how it kind of, you know, I interpret that talent as responsibility. There were some men that received ten talents. There was one that received five, another rece- or two, another received one. And it wasn't that these people were expected to do the same amount of work, but they were required to do what was expected of them, what could be done. We have a confidence in God also that there's nothing that's going to be done to us. There's nothing that's going to be done, asked of us, that we cannot do. You think about Charles, God coming up to you and saying, I want you to build, I can't really think of a building, but you have to build a building equivalent to the ark. And uh, it's something nobody's ever heard of. You have to build a hover building, one that doesn't touch the ground. You know? Would God ask you to do that if, you, if he knew you couldn't do it? No. That's a big thing that I think about with Noah. It's just that faith it took. He said, well, all right, I better get to work. You know, I could see Noah, maybe he had a piece of parchment out and was writing this down, saying, all right, I got to do this, got to do that, got to do that, got to do that. And hopefully over those years and years, he could, you know, you imagine checking one of those off. One of these tasks, you know, what would be the easiest one you think? Maybe bringing your wife and sons on board. Maybe, maybe you need to convince them a little bit. Had it rained before? Not yet. So, can you imagine this man? We, don't even, we aren't even told if God spoke to Noah's family. What if he only talked to Noah? Have you ever had to go talk to somebody and say, well, I, I was told to do this by so-and-so. Well, it's like, well, unless they tell me, I ain't believing it. I ain't going to do it. Think about how much of a leader Noah had to be, not only for himself, but for his family. And then for us, too. It's a big task. 
I also then want to th- talk about you know, whatever we do in church uh, with worship. Well, Kyle, you did announcements today. We've had men that offered prayers. We had Bible class today. We have those that are deacons. We have song leaders. We have elders. And all those people serve in different roles. Uh, there's a little bit more required of them, is it not? They still have to serve in that capacity. And if they're not doing all that God has commanded, as we'll see in a little bit later, they're going to have a lot more um, punishment come for that. Our next example I'd like to look at is as Jesus. Um, usually when I go to the New Testament and I, I have to pull a perfect example, there's really no one else to turn to but Jesus. And the big thing about Jesus, if you want to go ahead, turn your Bibles to chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. We have Jesus. And what was Jesus' big goal here? What was Jesus sent to do? We can really break it down uh, a few words. I don't want to make it sound as simple and mundane as it is, but Jesus was sent to fulfill the law, to make it complete, and inevitably offer himself as a sacrifice for us. So once that law was made whole and Jesus was sacrificed, his work was done. Could you imagine if Jesus didn't do one thing God had commanded? Could you imagine if Jesus didn't uphold the law? Could we have the faith and assurance that we have today? Could we go to God in prayer knowing that there's a high priest that speaks to him on our behalf of how hard it is here? On what it's like to be hungry, to be cold, to lose family and friends? To just be down and out about the condition of the world, right? You know, Jesus has that for us, but we wouldn't be able to do that. Just a couple of things I want to talk about is, you know, Jesus, he says, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets, I came uh, to fulfill it. And then I, I like this word, there's a lot of play on words. When I think of the word awful, uh, I've been kind of conditioned to think it's really bad. But if you kind of turn the words around, if, what is awesome? Awesome is great. Awful should be full of awe. Fulfill is filled to the full. Jesus came. Uh, I think about the law, uh, it made me visualize a big cup or a bowl. And it's sitting right there. And Jesus had to fill it up by obeying the law. And until that bowl was to the brim, Jesus' work was not complete. But he did it. And then Jesus, um, Logan's doing an awesome job teaching these kids uh, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And this really struck out to me. I wanted to look more into it. You know, Jesus came, and not only is he teaching the things of the law, but he's also expounding on them. You know, it's a lot of the Pharisees were teaching about doing the physical things, but Jesus was taking it a step further, and even the thoughts before the actions, and how important that was. Uh, Carl led the song of Trust and Obey, which I appreciate you doing that, and just how important it is for us to obey all that God says. But, you know, Jesus, he came here with full commitment, and that's where that last bullet point is. He came here to do everything rather than just acknowledge it and obey it. There's some people that just passively go by. Uh, Jim says it's a lot where they're just checking the box. You know, all right, I, I came to services today, check. All right, I said hi to a couple people, check. I hummed along and sang a little bit, check. I took the Lord's Supper, check. But we're not doing checks in the box. This is something that uh, holds heavy on our hearts. Our last example is going to be with the second king of Israel. Uh, the first king, as you know, is God himself. So I accidentally almost put that, the first king. But uh, if we really want to think about it, God was the first king. And after they received a new king, that's when trouble started happening. So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're going to read about what happens when we do not fulfill or do all that the Lord has commanded. 
In 1 Samuel 15, 1-10, if you want to read with me, this is where the Lord rejects Saul. It says, Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now, if we compare that to Noah's task, uh, I'm not trying to say at all it's easy to take the life of anything, but Saul was told to go destroy these people for how they treated his people. God sanctioned this. Go do it. Now, if you had to compare which one you'd rather do between yourself, take a pick. Which one would be easier to do, maybe? Not saying the easy way is always the best way, but Saul had, uh, and I made Saul's list. Here we go. Nine things. You remember how much Noah had to do? Now, the three that I highlighted were the only ones that he completed. So, I didn't do the math for this, but three of nine is about 33%. Is that acceptable? Was God pleased with 33%? Let's find out. So we read in verse 4, So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, go down from the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, of the oxen, the fattened calves, and lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. Samuel, as we, if we read a little bit about, he was very frustrated, he was very angry, he couldn't understand why. Uh, and then, you know, he goes and meets Saul, and Saul thought he did such a good thing. Saul's reasoning is to, well, I spared the king because I'm, I'm going to make publicly humiliate him. Say, look, I have this captured king from a foreign nation. And then he keeps all these good livestock. And what was his response for that? Uh, he tells Samuel that I have spared these to sacrifice to God. Okay. If I'm judging by the standards of the world, yeah, A for effort, good job, Saul. But if I'm judging by the standards of God, what did God tell him to do? Destroy it all. Did God ask for a sacrifice? Does God ever tell you to do something and then give you hidden meaning to try and find? Does God, did God say, Saul, I want you to go and destroy this? And then in his head say, but I sure would like some sacrifices if you could spare it. No, he told him exactly what to do. Go do it. And Saul failed. Saul, in his own eyes, thought he did the greatest thing ever. And what was the ultimate response from God? He rips the kingdom away from Saul. Verse 22, it says, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is a sin of divination, and presumption 
is as iniquity is is as iniquity and idolatry presumptions. Saul thought he knew what God really wanted. There are people that worship today thinking I think God likes this. I think God wants me to worship him like this. Has God told us how to worship him today? 100%. But we still have people saying I think God likes this better. It says he has also rejected you from being king. And in the next chapter over God finds a man that's after his own heart, David. Another quick example, and then the lesson will be yours. Think about Adam and Eve. They had a couple of commands, right? Tend to the garden. You can eat of every tree and fruit. Every tree, you can eat of every fruit of the trees, except one. So I would assume they still have to eat. They had to tend, they need to be worked, they need to be busy. But other than that, everything was pretty good, right? That's a pretty good deal. So let's take it back. Would you rather build the ark, have to uphold the entire Old Testament law on your own, slay all these people of the Amalekites, or attend to the Garden of Eden and not eat of the tree of good and evil? Now take your pick. Now, which one sounds like the better deal, right? Let's see, Noah, I mean, he did end up accomplishing it very hard. Jesus had to die for us, and the law was extremely difficult as he was the only one to fulfill it. Saul, he didn't complete it. And then Adam and Eve, did they do all that God had commanded? No. And what were the consequences of that? We still pay for that today. Uh, We still stumble just as Adam and Eve stumbled. (laughs) Not to highlight them, but, you know, we're still held accountable for what we do. James 2.10, I have this up here. It says, Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles or fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. It's good for us to keep trying. It's good for us to keep working hard, to never give up. But at the same time, let's realize that if we are giving 99.9%, it's still not enough. You know, uh, getting by in nursing school is okay for me. I'm okay with getting those, the C, uh, which is an 83. That's okay with me. I can get by. Can I get by with anything less, though, than 100 with God? There's no curve. There's no room for error. I have to uphold the entire law. We have to uphold the entire law. But you know what? As Kyle mentioned earlier uh, in the day, this can't be done without brotherly love. This can't be done without the help of others. There's no one here that can get by serving God by themselves. Jesus himself had to lean on God all the time. Jesus himself found good men for him that could carry on. And we have the men that wrote this uh, Bible that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. We have men and women examples that did do all that God commanded. It can be done. It's still done today. I'm sure you can think of examples of people in your life that uh, you can, are encouraged by and help each other. Uh, but there's also times when we stumble. And at that same time, it's okay for us to come to those people and say, you know, I've stumbled. I need help. At the same time, you know, that's why we have those people that are a little bit wiser than us, a little bit older, and uh, can help us pick us back up and carry on our way. If there's no one here and now that has a need of the invitation, we extend it. We ask that you come forward as we stand, as we sing. <clears throat>